Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store, Route 6A, Orleans, Cape Cod. On the web at birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By the Boston Harbor Island Alliance. Minutes away, worlds apart. Go to bostonharborislands.org for more information. Good morning. Welcome to our show number 524. Hey, did you know that today is International Dawn Chorus Day? I think I hear it. It's really big in Britain and catching on in South Carolina. They'll be celebrating today at Congaree National Park Visitor Center in Hopkins, uh, South Carolina. I love that name. Congaree. Got to figure it must come from this bird here. You have a Congaree sound of the red-winged blackbird, many of which we're seeing now here in the Northeast here early in the month of May. Speaking of sounds, we have to wonder what that creature that paleontologists have just uncovered in China sounded like. They describe it as a pigeon-sized dinosaur with bat wings. It lived about 160 million years ago. You'll find a link to CBS's story about it on our Facebook page. And you'll also see <laughs> uh, a clever little posting by our friend Vincent in New Jersey in response to that posting. Well, our friends at the Cornell Lab of Ornithology do a lot of big things. as probably the greatest source of knowledge about birds on the planet. And they're about to do something else really big. They're producing a documentary that will become a national PBS program in the network's Nature series. The film is called The Sagebrush Sea, which looks at the diversity of life in the huge western wilderness known as the Sagebrush Steppe through the eyes of the threatened greater sage grouse. One of the people responsible for creating the documentary is Mark Dansker, and he will join us to tell us all about it right here on Talking Birds next week. And by the way, don't forget about our big L.L. Bean broadcast, May 24th. Come and join us if you can at the L.L. Bean flagship store in Freeport, Maine on May 24th. Here's a little house cleaning announcement. Uh, when we switched our podcast feed to our new TalkingBirds.com website, iTunes was trained to catch the new feed, but apparently other podcast apps don't do that automatically. So... If you've had some difficulty finding us on iTunes, you can just do a search for Talking Birds in your podcast app and resubscribe. Meanwhile, you can find our show just about instantly on our website. And now you can do so on the same day that our show airs live. Just go to our website and hit the listen button. And of course, you can hear our show live online. Details there at TalkingBirds.com. Our salute this week goes to an ex-NASA engineer who has engaged in the fight against deforestation in a really innovative and really big way. His name is Lauren Fletcher from a company called Biocarbon Engineering, and he aims to plant a billion trees a year using drones. It's actually the vacuum cleaner again, but you get the idea. Their system uses a pressurized air canister to fire rounds into the ground, kind of like a paintball gun. But instead of paintballs, it will shoot biodegradable pods with pre-germinated seeds. 
As the website geek.com points out, this method has some major advantages over traditional replanting methods, including the fact that it's cheaper than paying van loads of college students to plant trees while listening to fish MP3s. So our conservation salute to Lauren Fletcher for using drones in a really, really good way. Still to come on our show today, Dr. Bruce Beeler is on his way from High Island, Texas to Ontario, Canada, following the spring migration of birds up through the Mississippi Valley. And we'll catch up with Bruce right here on this morning's show in just a few minutes. Also today, we'll present our answer to that famous horse race that took place yesterday at Churchill Downs in Louisville. It's our Kentucky birdie. All new for 2015. And as always, we'll offer some clues to the identity of a mystery bird and give away a fabulous feeder from Droll Yankees in the process. Coming up next, it's today's Talking Birds featured friend. After this word of interest, one of America's great birding festivals is coming soon. The Acadia Birding Festival at beautiful Mount Desert Island, or Mount Desert Island if you prefer. Bar Harbor, Maine, runs from May 28th to the 31st and offers great experiences for birders of all levels with numerous field trips and workshops and evening presentations by birding celebrity Ken Kaufman of the Kaufman Field Guides and David LaPuma, director of the Cape May Bird Observatory. You won't want to miss the seabird boat trip with over 25 experienced guides to help identify birds. Find out more at AcadiaBirdingFestival.com. That's AcadiaBirdingFestival.com. One thing you can say about yellow-rumped warblers, there are lots of them. All over the U.S., wintering mostly in the southern states and points south, and breeding over most of the northern part of the country and Canada. And at this time of year, they've shed their dull fall and winter plumage and are brightening the trees and shrubs they inhabit with their spring colors of bright yellow, charcoal gray and black, and sharp white. Yellow rumps are fairly large, robust warblers with a sturdy bill and a long, narrow tail. The yellow color shows up on the face, the sides, the crown of the male, and, of course, the rump. The bird we know was once considered to comprise four species. The myrtle warbler, found all across North America. A western counterpart, the Audubon's warbler. The Mexican black-fronted warbler. And the Guatemalan Goldman's warbler. But in 1973, they were lumped and became the yellow-rumped, as designated by the American Ornithologists' Union. It's believed that the myrtle form was separated from the others by glacial development during the Pleistocene era, and the Audubon's form may have originated more recently through hybridization between the myrtle warbler and the Mexican form. Our North American myrtle and Audubon's forms are most easily separated by their throat colors, white in the myrtle and yellow in the Audubon's. The yellow-rumped is the only warbler that can digest the waxes found in fruits like bayberries, and that ability allows them to winter farther north than other warblers, sometimes as far up as Newfoundland. Here's a typical song of the yellow-rumped warbler. One of the most common warblers in North America, but a beautiful one worth looking for. Cetophica coronata, the yellow-rumped warbler. Today's Talking Birds featured Feathered Friend. 
Thanks again for being with us here on our show number 524. As always, we hope you'll visit our beautiful new TalkingBirds.com website and follow us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram at TalkingBirds. Smithsonian ornithologist and researcher Dr. Bruce Beeler is heading north, tracking the spring migration of birds from the Gulf of Mexico to the great north woods of Canada in association with the American Bird Conservancy. And he joins us on the phone right now from a stopping off point somewhere near Jackson, Mississippi. Good morning, Bruce. Good morning, Ray. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Between Yazoo City and Holly Bluff somewhere. That's right. A little bit north of Jackson and a little bit southeast of Greenville, Mississippi. All right. And you've uh, you've been you've been looking at a couple of birds already this morning while you've been waiting for us here? More than uh, I think uh, nearly 100 indigo bunnings came up off the road as I drove out of the Delta National Forest. Quite a quite a sight. And wow. those birds are all the birds on the move. They're headed up the Mississippi Valley as we speak. Mhm. Well, your trip is officially called North with the Spring. Uh, tell us about your goals, Bruce, and your inspiration for this journey, which is, what, about 100 days? Sure. Uh, North with the Spring is the title of a book authored by Edwin Way Teal, a famous American naturalist who published in the 50s and 60s. Mm-hmm. And really, he's one of the inspirations, as well as my mother, who read that book to me when I was a child. And it really had an impact on me. Uh, Teal wrote a number of great books about uh, nature in America, and they're still great books, and they're a great read. And I, in fact, I just reread North of the Spring here the first um, month of my trip. So when you finish this trip, do you have in mind to write a book of your own about it? Well, that's my aspiration. I hope to do that, but uh, that's all ahead of me now. Uh, right now, I'm, I'm, I'm jotting down, and, and I've got a little tape recorder around my neck, uh, keeping notes on everything I see and hear. And so, you know, see if I can pull together enough uh, interesting observations to make a book that I hope to be almost as good as Teal. <laughs> Something to shoot for, for sure, anyway. So you've been out there, sure. uh, Bruce, for about a month now. What are, That's what, are right. some, what are some of your more exciting moments so far? I'm sure there have been many. Well, you know, I started out on the on the edge of the Gulf in eastern Texas, where mm-hmm. Texas meets Louisiana, mm-hmm. and that's where a lot of the birds, uh, which migrate across the Gulf, you know, they come that 600 miles or more uh, without stopping. Obviously, there's no place to stop uh, except a few oil rigs. Yeah, we know uh, the when honey- they land, when they yeah. see shore, they are very happy, obviously, uh, <laughs> and they look for the first patch of woods and. Certainly one of the most exciting things was last week when I was in Sabine Woods, which is, again, right near the border between uh, Texas and Louisiana, right on the coast. This small patch of maybe 20 20 acres of woods, it's oak woods. In the morning, there were no birds there. The birds actually arrived. This is a surprise to people from the north. You know, we're used to the birds showing up at at, uh, the end of the night because these are nocturnal migrants. Mm -hmm. But when they come across the Gulf, they don't make it. You know, when day comes, they have to keep flying. And they don't actually arrive on the shores of the Gulf until around 3 p.m. So this empty woods, at around I got there around 3.30, started to fill with birds. 20 or 30 oven birds, 30 or 40 northern water thrushes, 50 or 60 summer tanagers. Then there were plots of painted bunnings and little hummingbirds feeding. All of a sudden, all these birds appear in this woods, and they fill it up. And it's really quite something to see. And instead of seeing, you know, I didn't see one golden winged warbler, I saw three. Hmm. Uh, there's a cerulean warbler in the sun that it was foraging about a foot above the ground. Fantastic. Painted bunnings on the ground in the grass. You know, you could just walk right up to them. 
Nice so to that's see, though. pretty darn exciting to see for mm-hmm. a bird watcher. Yeah, especially those golden winged warblers, and that's uh, that's kind of your your graphic, isn't it, for you for your trip? Well, that's uh, maybe our totem bird, yes, yeah. because of course it's a declining species. It's you know it's one of the classic neotropical migrants, and it it breeds up in northern Minnesota and Wisconsin, and actually into Ontario as well. So I'll be headed up to where it's breeding ground, and we'll be spending some time with some of the field. Uh, the ABC, or American Bird Conservancy, biologist who are working to create habitat for golden-winged warblers up in Minnesota. So that's mm-hmm. very exciting. I'm looking forward to that. Well, you are traveling alone, but as you indicate, your trip is hardly solitary, consulting with lots of folks along the way. That makes quite a difference in a trip like yours. So, like Teal did, I am really focusing on nature and the people who care and work for nature. Mm-hmm. So they're federal groups. I've been stopping official wildlife, uh, national wildlife refuges, and they've been very, very gracious. There's state wildlife res- refuges and people who look after those in the wildlife management areas. They've been very helpful. I, last night I spent the night in Delta National Forest, and their, their forester uh, was very helpful getting me in the right place where the old-growth forest was. So there are people, Ducks Unlimited people, uh, but even the Georgia Pacific people who are sponsoring American Bird Conservancy, they're looking out for nature, and I'm going to try to tell their story as well as the story of, you know, sort of my getting lost in the woods here and mm-hmm. seeing some cool birds. And you've been in some some great places, some of the last remaining great places uh, in the southeast, including places uh, where last was seen for sure the ivory-billed woodpecker. So there's a place called the Tensal River, and... It's uh, now a nice, large, almost 70,000-acre national wildlife refuge, mostly bottomland forest with some really nice stands. I walked through a forest with 7,000 contiguous acres of forest, and all bottomland flat as a pancake, partially flooded by beavers now, filled with birds, Swainson's warblers, Kentucky warblers, hooded warblers, summer tanagers, just all sorts of things singing and cottonmouths here and there, and copperheads, and all sorts of interesting life, both uh, venomous and non-venomous. And really, it's like going back in time, because that tensaw is where Jim Tanner did his Ph.D. thesis on the ivory bill woodpecker, and he had a population of, I think, 15 or 20 of those birds, and he mapped their, their home ranges, and he spent time with those birds. And all I could do, of course, was sort of dr- read Jim Tanner's book down there and go out to see some of the remnant trees that were there when those ivory bills were there. Mm-hmm. And where I am here uh, at, at Delta National Forest, there are trees that are three or 400 years old left. left. Those are trees that ivory bills fed on mm-hmm. back in the teens. And I can just sort of, it just makes me feel good that I can in some way sort of reach back to those times when ivory bills still lived here in the Delta oh. of the Mississippi. Mm-hmm. Hey, Bruce, how do, how do people follow you on your blog that you're putting together, by the way? Well, there is there is a blog site, and it is uh, what is it northwiththespring.org. Northwiththespring.org. Yeah, no, it's all one word. It's all mushed together. Mm-hmm. Northwiththespring.org. If you go, it's all lowercase, I think. And mm-hmm. if you go there, you'll uh, get some little snippets and photographs and some videos of, of what I'm seeing and what I'm doing. 
And uh, and if there are any auto mechanics there, you might want to check it out too, because uh, you had a little little automotive difficulty there, which you kind of worked out. <laughs> what I call Carmageddon. So uh, I had a nice Nissan Pathfinder, 2004, that had it all checked out in Bethesda, Maryland. Mm. They assured me it was going to make the 10,000 miles plus of this journey, and sadly, it only made about two and a half thousand, and uh, mm. pooped out last uh, about two Sundays ago. Mm-hmm. And I had to buy a new car as we went. And I looked at one car. I didn't even test drive it because it was a Nissan Xterra. It fit the bill. It was like mm-hmm. almost like the car I had. It was the closest. And now I have a new car, and I'm, I'm touching wood every time I turn it on. <laughs> the folks at Nissan will appreciate your loyalty to the brand anyway. It's a wonderful brand. I'm not blaming Nissan. I'm blaming blaming some mechanic or other. Maybe didn't tighten something up that he should have. Uh, That's my guess. Dr. Bruce Beeler is an ornithologist and research associate of the Bird Division of the Smithsonian Institution's National Museum of Natural History. And he is on the road tracking the spring migration of birds all the way up to the great north woods of Canada. Bruce, good luck, good birding, and we'll talk to you again along the route soon. Thanks so much, Ray. Great to talk to you. Coming up next here on Talking Birds, it's our mystery bird contest in just one minute. Here's an idea for the next time you're shopping for wild bird food. Look for the Audubon Park brand, a top choice among bird lovers for more than 40 years. That's because Audubon Park wild bird seed is the finest kind, with more than a dozen selections to choose from, including the popular fruit and nut, songbird and cardinal, and no-waste patio blends. Human development and climate change are having increasing impacts on wild birds, feeding the hummers, chickadees, goldfinches, cardinals, and all the beautiful and fascinating birds in your backyard really helps them survive and thrive. All of Audubon Park's products meet the highest quality standards in the industry and have earned early compliance with the FDA's Food Safety Modernization Act. And Audubon Park products are easy to find at your supermarket, lawn and garden store, farm and feed market, and online retailers. For more information, visit AudubonPark.com. That's AudubonPark.com. Audubon Park wild bird food is made right here in the USA. Get some for your backyard birds today. Audubon Park wild bird food. Talking Birds is made possible in part by the Cornell Lab of Ornithology, a world leader in the study, appreciation, and conservation of birds. Please check them out at birds.cornell.edu. You're eligible for a mystery bird contest if you haven't won here in Talking Birds in the past six months. And by the way, if you're not hearing our show live and think you're unable to enter our contest, remember you can hear our show live every week online, no matter where you are. Just go to talkingbirds.com to see how to do it. It's real easy. Here's our number. We urge you to call as soon as you can if you have an inkling about the identity of our mystery bird. The number is 781-837-4900, 781-837-4900. Our prize is the new Droll Yankees CJM13GP peanut feeder on which birds may rest comfortably at the two perches at the base of the feeder or cling to the wire mesh cage while feeding. Another great Droll Yankees feeder. We're going to have a bonus prize of a bag of birds and beans, uh, birds and beans bird-friendly coffee. 781-837-4900 is the number, and here is the sound of our mystery bird. <coughs> Pretty unusual sounding creature, a secretive creature of marshes and swamps where it feeds on insects and aquatic uh, vegetation. Among its adaptations for moving through its habitat are a laterally compressed body that lets it fit through the reeds and long flexible toes. 
Our bird's upper parts are streaked black and rufous or rusty brown. It has a rufous-colored throat and breast with gray cheeks and a long, slightly decurved or downward-curved reddish bill. That is our mystery bird. What do you think it is? Give us a jingle here and tell us or take a guess. No correct answer means a drawing will determine the winner. 781-837-4900 is the number to call. Meanwhile, we're going to head down to the Cape, Cape Cod, that is, and check in with Mike O'Connor and our Let's Ask Mike segment in just one minute. Right in Boston's backyard lies a magnificent resource where you can walk a Civil War-era fort, explore tide pools, and camp under the stars. Once known as the city's hidden gem, the Boston Harbor Islands National Park area has become the go-to urban escape for tourists and residents alike. It's a marvelous destination for birders, offering a huge variety of migrating and nesting species that can be viewed independently or during free ranger-guided bird walks on Saturday mornings. The islands are home to other wildlife, too, including deer, fox, coyote, rabbits, raccoons, muskrats, squirrels, and harbor seals. There are countless activities for non-birders as well, like hiking on miles of trails, sunny beaches, ocean fishing, concerts, beer tastings, and programs for the whole family. 34 islands, 3,000 acres, endless fun and exploration, all minutes from Boston. Find out more at bostonharborislands.org. Let's head down to Cape Cod, home of the Bird Watchers General Store, and Mike O'Connor. And Mike, we talk about your store, but we have a really pretty cool website. Oh, yeah. BirdWatchersGeneralStore.com, I believe that is. Yeah, that's it. Here's a question from way out in Albuquerque, New Mexico. It says, hi, Ray and Mike. I make vegetarian peanut butter suet for the birds, which chickadees, nuthatches, woodpeckers, jays, finches, and sparrows seem to love, but the sparrows love it too much. Flocks of about 25 house sparrows come down and eat the suet until it's all gone with barely any chance for other birds to have some. How can I keep the sparrows away while still attracting the other birds? That's from Vivian in Albuquerque, and that's a problem a lot of people uh, have. Mike? It is. Mm-hmm. But more importantly, I want to know this recipe. And secondly, I'm a vegetarian, Vivian, yeah. so maybe I'll be over if you see me out at your feeder. <laughs> Try it out. It, the sparrows are gone, but now Mike is out there eating all the peanut butter suet. And we talked about the the magic halo, that thing with the with the um, follow, uh, monofilament right. lines yeah. hanging down. We even had Ron Johnson from University of Nebraska on the show, who invented that thing a while ago. That's and, one thing and that people do. Like pushing it, right? Not pushing it in a bad way, but recommending it. I think I, I think he sold the company, but they're still making them. I guess. Yeah. Right? yeah. I, you know, sorry, Ron. I, I, your theory was awesome. The, mm-hmm. the product we sold it. It was a little bit unwieldy because it was so big. It was a good idea. Hmm. So what I tell people to to do is just take like a big flat, like either a rain guard you might put over a feeder, or if your feeder's big, like a big flat like squirrel guard looks like a flying saucer, big mm-hmm. flat thing, and then. Tap on, tape on, or or tie on your own monofilament. Thin, mm. real thin monofilament. Mm-hmm. Maybe not a lot. Maybe six or eight pieces. So it hangs down, look like a giant squid hanging there. But it's thin. You barely see it. All the birds fly through, but for whatever reason, the sparrows get freaked out about yeah. it. And I've used it for years, and it works fine. I don't, you know, no one sparrows. They're going to evolve into something that likes monofilament. But at this point, it's working. So just kind of. Take your feeder and then put this over. You got to kind of pay attention a little bit because you don't want to make sure the birds don't get tangled, or whatever. But mm-hmm. just hang it, put the feeder under some device that strings this down, 
and and the birds will all the birds you want will fly through, and the sparrows will just back off. All right, give it a try, Vivian, and let us know how it works out. And I'll be over for that suit. Good, good for you. <laughs> See you next week, Mike. Okay, right. All right. Send your question to Mike. Here's the address: email Ray at talkingbirds.com. Ray at talkingbirds.com. Mike will answer the question in his own inimitable style. We'll send you a copy of Mike's newest book, Why Do Bluebirds Hate Me? 781-837-4900 is the number. Meanwhile, back here at the Mystery Bird Contest, 781-837-4900. We're trying to identify this unusual-sounding bird. Our prize is the... Droll Yankees' new peanut feeder, part of their new line of fabulous feeders, a feeder tube made of durable stainless steel wire mesh, perfect for a pound of peanuts or black oil sunflower seed. If you prefer, we're also giving away a bonus prize of a big bag of birds and beans bird-friendly shade-grown coffee. 781-837-4900. Our mystery bird, a secretive creature of marshes and swamps where it feeds on insects, and aquatic vegetation. Among its adaptations for moving through its habitat are a laterally compressed body that lets it fit through the reeds and long, flexible toes that helps it walk on, you know, lily pads and stuff like that. 781-837-4900. Jennifer is in nearby Duxbury, Massachusetts. Good morning, Jennifer. Good morning. Hey, are you ready for temperatures in the 70s? Oh, you betcha. <laughs> <laughs> you betcha is right. That's going to be pretty pretty nice. Well, our mystery bird, Jennifer, you heard the, heard the clues. What do you think? Well, uh, I conferred with my husband, who is the real expert, uh-huh. and he says it's a woodcock. And so I say it's a woodcock. Well, your husband is an expert, no question about it. But even experts are not always right. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a woodcock. Oh. oh my goodness. Yeah. Oh, but, uh, dear. Well, I'll have to report that to him. All right. Well, you can tell him it was a top-quality guess. Okay. I'll uh, tell him. All right. Thank, thank okay, you, Jennifer. thank you. All right. We have John in Situate, Massachusetts. Good morning, John. Uh, oh, I think we'll, we'll get John here in a moment. I think right now we have a some sort of a spaceship flying by, but we'll get get that to no. We we're, we can't seem to get John. Sorry about that, John. But uh, try us again, and we'll we'll make that work next time. How about uh, Sandy in Edison, New Jersey? Good morning, Sandy. Hi, Ray. How are you, Sandy? Okay, how are you? Well, well, thank you. You must be getting some 70s down there in New Jersey yeah, by actually, now. Yeah, actually, today is supposed to be in the 80s. Oh! Week. Wow, in the 80s. Wow, that's... Finally, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, you got a little snow down there, too, didn't you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We had a winter, but... <laughs> yeah. Spring it's, is sprung. <laughs> it's over now. All right, Sandy, what do you say on our mystery bird contest? Um, is it a Virginia rail? I believe it is a Virginia rail. As they say in New Jersey, you've got that right. You're absolutely right. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. The Virginia rail, a secretive creature, but a a fascinating bird to see. Well, we're going to send you that Droll Yankees peanut feeder uh, for you there, Sandy. uh, Thank you so much. Add that to your, do you have some feeders in your yard now? 
Oh, yeah. All right. Yeah, a lot well, of feeders, bird baths, and, you know, everything. The whole thing. <laughs> Stay on the line. We're going to get your address. No, actually, uh, hang up and call us back, we're t- we're, they're telling me, so if you don't mind doing that. Okay. We're going to send you that birds and beans coffee as well. Oh. All right. Stand All by. Right. Thanks. Thanks so much, Ray. You're welcome. We've got to go right now to our special Kentucky birdie. Do we have time? <laughs> Welcome to the 2015 edition of the Talkin' Birds, Kentucky Birdie. Coming to you live from Eider Downs at Oriole Park. With all new entries, except for one, the brown booby. There's a little, there's a little preview for you. We're gonna, we don't have time to do this. Uh, you know, a little bad clock management. I hope Bill Belichick is not listening. Um, so we don't have time for our, our Kentucky birdie. We'll do it next week. However, congratulations to American Pharaoh winning at the other race down there in uh, Churchill Downs. Well, next week, Mark Dansker, one of the producers of an amazing new documentary film about the greater sage grouse. It's going to be on PBS's Nature later the, this month. So we'll have uh, Mark with us next week. Don't forget our uh, broadcast from L.L. Bean on May 24th. And that would be our show for today. The executive producer of Talking Birds is Mark Duffield. Our engineer is Jesse Wilkins. I'm Ray Brown. See you next week. Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store, Route 6A, Orleans, Cape Cod. On the web at birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By the Boston Harbor Island Alliance. Minutes away, worlds apart. Go to bostonharborislands.org for more information. Hey, Talking Birds, I love that show. 